this morning, this day, as we open the Word of God together, we are focused in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, as uh, we just continue on from the Christmas story, uh, from the Magi into now the life of Jesus. And uh, we will be focusing on two phrases out of these uh, several verses from the lips of John the Baptist. The lips of John the Baptist. The two phrases were these, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the, heaven of king, uh, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And number two is to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This really encapsulates the message and ministry of John the Baptist, as we will see today. You know, it's interesting in Matthew's, the Gospel according to Matthew, that he moves so suddenly from the birth story of Jesus into the, the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus is now about 30 years old. He's just stepping into his public ministry. And the story of his public ministry begins here with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is like an Old Testament prophet, one who uh, uh, has been calling the people to align their life with God's purpose. That really is, is the, the intent and the role of an Old Testament prophet, is to call people again to align your life with the purpose and the calling of God. And so we read together now Matthew chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, open them. The, the scriptures will be on your screen. Verses 1 through 12, the Bible says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who he was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones... God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the first phrase of John the Baptist is really right off of the, the, the introduction of who he is. And his message is right front and center for the Gospel writer Matthew. And this is the phrase, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of of heaven has come near. John the Baptist, what a, a, an interesting person. He bursts onto the scene here after 400 years of silence since the close of the Old Testament, since the prophet Malachi spoke on behalf of God. 
You see, Jesus the Messiah has now been born. We've just spent weeks through December and the early parts of January focusing on that reality. And now John the Baptist steps forward. John the Baptist steps forward in his prophetic role to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. You see, many first century Jewish people in this area were longing for God to act and longing for the Messiah to come into the world. And they expected part of their, their understanding of when God sent Messiah into the world, they expected Elijah to come. The Old Testament prophet, some re, reconstituted uh, vision and personage of Elijah would come as a forerunner of the Messiah, one who would prepare the way. You see, Elijah stands really as, as the quintessential, the pillar of Old Testament prophets. He was an intense man in ministry. He was energetic beyond belief. And through Elijah, God worked powerfully in so many different ways. And it's highlighted by what God did on Mount Carmel. Elijah, he also wore interesting clothing of animal hair and a leather belt. And John the Baptist out in the wilderness areas around the Jordan River. He is identifying himself in this role of Elijah. Later, Jesus would even say that, that Elijah has come when he's talking about John the Baptist. And out of Isaiah 40, we, we hear the, the words again of the prophet uh, Isaiah saying that a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. You see, this is the role of John the Baptist. It wasn't a ministry to focus on himself, but it was a ministry, as all Christian ministries are to be, is to point people to Jesus and to point people to the life and the full life that Jesus desires to provide to you. It refers to Isaiah 40, and as the people are awaiting exile, uh, awaiting return to the, the promised land from exile, Isaiah chapter 40, back in 1963, in Washington, D.C., Martin Luther King Jr. stood and gave his now famous I Have a Dream speech. And part of that speech was drawn right out of Isaiah chapter 40. He says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And he goes on, he says, this is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith... We will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. You're aware that Martin Luther King Jr. back in the 1960s spoke during a time of great pain, during a time of great turmoil, when tensions were white hot in so many different social issues in our country. John the Baptist, many centuries before, he preached this message to repent for the kingdom of heaven 
has come near. It's a message to personal repentance and a focus on God's kingdom. The move on the Capitol just a few days ago has jarred our nation. It has likely left continued jarring in your life as well. Even in recent days, the pictures of National Guard troops sitting on the floor of our congressional building waiting, awaiting the inauguration day of January 20th to protect it, not knowing what is to come. And it is a disturbing season that we find ourselves. You see, when the Capitol was overrun with rioters, I, for one, was sickened to see huge banners that read things like Jesus saves among that group and God bless America among that group. It turned my stomach ill because it made me ask, what about people who are in church today? Is that the gospel message that we want them to associate with the Jesus that we love and follow? The Jesus who loves us and has called us, is that the message of our gospel? I'm so disturbed by that. Is that how we desire for people to think about the life and the message and the death and the resurrection and the calling to new life and the calling to repentance of Jesus? Is that the message of our gospel? Russell Moore, the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, he said recently in one of his writings, he said, if the world, because of these banners too, if the world rejects us because of Christ and Him crucified, so much the worse for the world. If the world rejects us because they think Christ is just a mascot for what we would already be supporting or doing, even if Jesus were still dead, then God have mercy on us. I could not agree more wholeheartedly today. Russell Moore goes on in that article to say that, uh, uh, that hope starts in the midst of lament. That new hope always is given birth and rises out of a season of lament. Lament are the ashes from which hope and new hope Rises. John the Baptist, I think, agrees when he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is an acknowledgement and a turning from personal sin. It is turning to the real message of the hope that Jesus provides. The hope that is only found in Jesus. Not playing power politics and not forcing our way and our agenda on others, but presenting them to Jesus, pointing them to Jesus, calling them to repentance, as you and I also live in repentance. This message is not just for other people. This is a message for the church, and a message for you, and a message for me, to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Christian people, our primary focus, brothers and sisters, is the kingdom of God. Our primary focus is the kingdom of God. We are not focused primarily on the kingdom of America any more than first century believers were called to put their primary focus on the kingdom of the Roman Empire. 
We are called to focus ourselves on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because in Jesus it has come near. And we are called, you and I, to repentance in a daily, weekly, regular routine of our life, to repent of our sin before the Lord, and to invite others into that same repentance, for that is the gospel. To turn away from sin, to turn to the living God, and the Jesus that comes to give you and me, and to give others who don't yet know Him, the fullness of life that He has promised. You see, the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, is our focus and even right here where, where many of us live in the Bay Area, there are hundreds of thousands of men and women and youth and children who today do not know the person of Jesus, who today have not been offered the, the, the great good news of Jesus and offered the, the full life that Jesus has come to give to them and have not been invited into repentance because of the kingdom of God and its nearness in Jesus. But we're also called, John the Baptist says, to produce fruit in keeping with that repentance. You see, repentance is not something we do one point of our life and then we live any way that we want. Because the Bible says that you have been bought at a price and you are no longer your own. And now you live your life, I live my life as best we know how, to the glory of God. That is the calling of our lives. But there was resistance even to the message of John the Baptist. You, you might have noticed there, as, as he's out at the, at, in the wilderness, he's out uh, baptizing people in the, the River Jordan. And the Sadducees and Pharisees come out and, and he warns them that God is not interested in family trees that bear no fruit and change lives. Do you hear that? God is not interested in our religious heritage, in our family trees that bear no fruit as a response of changed lives. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they were different sects of Jewish um, uh, uh, arrangements at that time. And, and here, for John the Baptist, they present, they represent those who would offer excuses for not needing to repent. They, that's what they stand for in this particular passage. That they come out for baptism, but John the Baptist knows that, that they're not all that interested in repentance and the core of his message. And their, their response would be, well, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, what they would say with that, and John kind of anticipates that response, and he says, do not suppose... That just because Abraham is your father, you claim him, that you somehow are right with God. You see, they, they would say, you know, we, we have been born Jewish, and because of that, that places us inside the covenant promises of God, regardless of our acceptance of God, regardless of the life that we live, regardless of our uh, willingness to repent, regardless of our rejection of the Messiah. And John the Baptist says, no, it doesn't work that way, because personal repentance is required and in that acknowledgement of personal sin and a turning to the living and personal God. They would say, we do not need to repent. We'll pursue baptism without repentance. And John the Baptist says it cannot and does not work that way. Today, don't we hear a lot of reasons for people uh, for why they don't need to repent? Uh, some would say that I have a calling from God, and that calling means that no matter what... Uh, 
any, any sort of means justify the ends to that calling. And they would say, therefore, I, I will do whatever I must do. Even if it's breaking the law against the, the desires of God, even if it's undercutting other people or mistreating other people or uh, whatever it might be, they would say, I'm on a calling from God. And therefore, the means justify the ends. Whatever the ends will come, it doesn't matter how I get there. And I would say, brother and sister, it doesn't work that way. Because the ends are always defined by the means we use to get there. That's always the way it is. Especially for Christian people. And we are not to short-circuit or circumvent the pathway of God in the way that He's guided us forward. Others might say, I'm a good person. What do I have to repent from? Still others might say, I may not be perfect, I, I acknowledge that, but what about fill in the blank? I'm not as bad as him or her, right? You, you hear these reasons for repentance in different ways. And uh, John the Baptist looks at these people and he, he looks around the, the Jordan River, and I'm sure there must have been rocks sitting there on the banks, and, and he says, don't, don't presume that just because you claim Abraham as your father, and you claim just because you were born into this Jewish uh, identity, that that alone, without a recognition and a turning from your personal sin before God, that that alone will rescue you and set you right with God. Because God can take these, these stones and raise up new sons for himself. There's actually a wordplay happening in this phrase in, in the original Aramaic language that they were speaking because the word stone and the word son uh, sound very similar together. And another, it's almost like John the Baptist saying, out of these stones, God can raise up new sons for himself. God can raise up new children for himself. You see, for us today, growing up, Maybe in a Christian home, if that's been your experience, or even going to church regularly, that doesn't by itself make you right with God. That doesn't by itself fill you with the fullness of God. If indeed you've not come to a place of personally acknowledging your sin before God and personally repenting and turning from that so that you can embrace and enjoy the gift of God which is new life, the gift of God, which is a new birth, personal repentance, confession of that sin, and the giving of your whole life into God's hands. I recently came across a, a, a character in a film that I have really grown to love in just a few short days. This character's name is Ricky Baker. And uh, it's a film I had never heard of, but we watched it as a family. It's called The Hunt for the Wilder People. And I would commend it to you. It is a really great uh, and cute movie. Ricky Baker is, is an orphan child, no parents. He's been uh, he, he's in New Zealand, and he's been uh, shuffled around from home to home, and he's kind of at his last straw. The, the Child Protective Services deliver him to a new home out in the country, and uh, this, this loving uh, woman and, and her husband bring him into their home, and uh, they, they just begin, especially the, the mother, not so much the, the dad, but that's part of the story. You'll have to watch to find out more. But the mother brings brings him in, and uh, they're just little signs of her love and care and her attention over his life, like a hot water bottle placed in his bed, and that becomes symbolic of her love for him. And on his birthday, he said it's the first time he remembers celebrating a birthday. And that's sad. So first, he's probably, I don't know, uh, 12, 13, 14 years old. First time he celebrated a birthday. And uh, the, the mom 
uh, on her little tiny little toy keyboard. She has it at the, the dining table with the birthday cake there and the candles, and, and she's sitting here playing a song. She's singing about Ricky Baker. Ricky Baker, uh, once rejected, now accepted by me and Hector, her husband. It's a great moment because he is feeling the embrace of their love and acceptance into their hearts at home. And in time, he returns that acceptance and he accepts them as part of his family as well. And this is, this is what God does in the Bible reality of adoption. You see, God, God offers you his love through the cross of Jesus. And when you accept that message of love and hope in the new life by accepting Jesus into your life, and you believe that God has raised him from the dead to give you that new life. You repent from your sin and you receive his goodness. You are adopted as a son or a daughter. You've experienced the love of God and you are now his. Praise be to God. God can transform any heart. Do you believe that today? If you believe that today and you're watching live at 11 o'clock, would you just write yes in the comments section? Do you really believe that God can touch and change any heart? That any heart today, even the hardest of hearts, can, can be called into repentance and called into the new life and be filled with the fullness of life that Jesus has for them? What about the Apostle Paul? The man who stood approving of the execution of the first martyr mentioned in the Bible in Stephen, the first Christian martyr. What about a former slave, uh, African slave ship captain, John Newton, who was claimed by the grace of God and went on to write one of the most beloved hymns of Amazing Grace? What about Chuck Colson? In the 20th century, he was known as the hatchet man in Washington, D.C. for President Richard Nixon, the man who would just come in and, and take care of business and always underhanded and, and very... Uh, in a very bad way. But God got a hold of his life while he went to prison for the Watergate scandal. And in prison, he comes out of that prison born again. In fact, that's the title of one of his books, Born Again. And he, he began a great prison ministry himself. Can God change a life and a heart like Bryce Butler? What about you? Would you fill in your blank? Is there any, your name in that blank? Is there anybody... That God cannot touch and transform and to call into his purposes. What is your reason today for not repenting of your sin? What is holding you back today from receiving the forgiveness of Jesus? What is preventing you today from opening your life to encountering the fullness of life that Jesus desires to give to you. What is it? Why do you hang on to the very thing God wants you to lay down and let go of? Is there an idol in your life that you're clinging to today that you're unwilling to let go of and replace it with a, a firm and convict, a, 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 a convinced idea of God being the center and the future of your life? You know, because we as a church desire to be a purified church before the Lord, I'd like to ask you, what is it that is producing 
fruit in your life today? How is God producing fruit in your life today? There was once a boy in Southern California out of the ministry of a man who went into uh, really the epicenter of gang life, violent gang life in L.A. And he began to, to work in a, a Catholic mission in that place. And he met a, a young boy, 10 years old. Uh, his name is Lula, known as Lula. And Luis was his name. And uh, over time, Luis, uh, Lula was... Uh, began to experience being loved and being known and being called by name. He came from a big family. He had a lot of attention uh, disorders in his life. And he began to know what it was to be guided in life out of love and, and to be held accountable. And uh, the man who organized a ministry uh, called Homeboy Ministries, he, uh, he stood with some developers. He was having a meeting in his office. And 10-year-old Lula uh, shows up uh, there and he's uh, holding a report card. And this man, this minister, he knew how important and significant Lula was holding a report card because Lula couldn't, uh, previously had cared less about school. And uh, he knew it was significant, so he paused the meeting and he called Lula over to come show him his report card. And he was so excited to see what Lula would have on his report card. And as he opened it up, he saw the first class, the grade was an F. And the next class was an F. And he read down the column. Every single class was an F. And he couldn't believe it. He thought, what in the world is making Lula so happy at this report card? He began to scan it for anything that might be positive. And you know what he noticed? On absences, you know how many absences it listed? A big goose egg. Zero absences. And that is what Lula was so excited about. Because he may not have had any grades just yet, but he had finally given himself into the process of school, and that itself was growth and some fruit in his life. And so sometimes the progress in our lives is small. Sometimes the steps we make, the seasons, the steps can be very incremental. But God is still calling you, brother and sister, to bear fruit, to produce fruit that is in keeping, that represents the repentant life that you live. And that is what God is calling you to. And so I ask you today, what God fruit is growing in your life? And you may not have major headlines to share today, but what are the small things that you're seeing God adjust in your life, the, the places of your heart and your thinking that are being transformed to be more in alignment with God and His purposes for you? Where are your roots planted today? Because we know that every tree that bears fruit has roots that are healthy. And so where are your roots planted today? Into what do you allow your life to draw nutrition into your soul and spirit? How are your times in solitude, in Bible reading and prayer, in your own time today, what about your time spent with others in Bible study? Our church has a lot of Zoom Bible studies and small groups that are meeting. And we're inviting you in February to, if you're not part of one today, to uh, come and be part of one. What about sharing worship experiences? Are you prioritizing this time regularly with your church each and every week? I, I pray that you will. Um, but how, how are your roots planted? You know, Psalm chapter 1 describes how uh, we, we're able to grow because we are planted like trees beside living 
water. And God, of course, is that living water for us. Because, sisters and brothers, we are seeking a rekindled passion around sharing the kingdom of heaven with others around us. Just like John the Baptist was preparing people for the kingdom of heaven, I, I want to remind you about why we are inviting you to pray one by one. To pray one by one is an effort to rekindle in our church body a focus on the very heart and mission of God. And that is to call people into the full life that Jesus provides. It's to call people to understand and to live in the kingdom of heaven. It's to call people into repentance and the new beautiful life. But you know, every movement of God begins with prayer. And so I want to implore you today to make it your priority to pray one by one. To pray one by one is to choose one neighborhood, probably your own neighborhood, and one time every week that you will dedicate a few minutes, if not more, but at least a few minutes to pray specifically for that neighborhood. To pray with your eyes wide open. To pray for what God is doing around you that maybe you're unaware of today. Maybe there are areas of hurt and need right around you that God needs to touch. Maybe there are marriages that are on the brink of crumbling or uh, people who are being abused or uh, whatever it might be. There's alcoholism perhaps or drug addiction or other types of addictions. Whatever it might be, there could be loneliness today or an over sense of isolation today in some of the homes in that neighborhood that you've chosen but I'm calling you and asking you to make it your priority to once a week to set aside time to pray, to pray for the mission of God, to pray that the people in the neighborhood would know the kingdom of heaven, to pray that their hearts would be stirred by God's spirit, that they too would repent and to enjoy entering into the kingdom of heaven and to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. And then as you've heard earlier today about Rooted, we, we really want you to take 10 weeks with us starting in February, mid-February, and to and engage in this process uh, of this, this curriculum together as it will set us forward with a common sense of a fresh season of life and ministry together. The end of this passage says that God is gathering his wheat together. And the chaff will be burned. Which are you today? The wheat or the chaff? If you're not part of God's family, today can be the day that you can repent and turn from your sin. That you can embrace the kingdom of God and the life, the full life that Jesus offers to you. And you can do that this day. We'd like to help you with that. You can reach out to the staff today or to your small group leader and ask them more about what that means to repent of your sin and to engage with your whole heart into the life and love of the God who loves you so desperately, so deeply that he's come to rescue you. Father, we pray this day that you would mold our hearts, you would prick us today, that you would help us to hear this message of repentance and this message of fruit bearing that you, Holy Spirit, bring into our lives. You don't call us to rack up good deeds to somehow outweigh our bad deeds. That's not how we get right with you. But rightness comes through repentance. 
Rightness comes through confession. Rightness comes from setting aside everything else that we would rely upon and relying only on the work of Jesus on the cross. And so today, I pray that if anybody hears my voice that has not yet turned from their sin and to embrace you and you alone as their hope for their future, as their hope for today, their hope for tomorrow, that they would do that this day. God, we do pray that you would heal our nation, that you would take the deep divides among us, and that your spirit would tie us together, that you would heal us, bring your healing reigns over our hearts and souls, and mend us again, purify us. We pray, Jesus, as you purify us, we are released to glorify you. May it be so today and always. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen.